baseball fans. It's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, a long drive. If it stays fair, home run. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung out and missed a perfect game. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yes, yes. yes, yes. The Atlanta Braves have given you a championship. Listen to this crowd. Braves and baseball talk straight from the diamond. Here's Grant McCauley. Hello again and welcome to another episode of From the Diamond. I'm Grant McCauley and we've got a lot of ground to cover in this episode of the show. There's a lot to get to because this has been a pretty crazy week for Major League Baseball and it hasn't been in the good news department either. Of course, the Houston Astros received their discipline from Major League Baseball. We're going to get into all of that. There's an ongoing investigation of the Boston Red Sox. The Mets have lost their manager. In fact, three managers have lost their job and a GM. And we're going to get into all of that and we're going to discuss what's been going on with the Braves this past week. I'm sure you're well aware that SunTrust Park received its new name. It is now known as Truist Park, and they'll be hosting Braves Chop Fest coming up next weekend, so we'll have some stuff to talk about as far as that's concerned on the next episode of the show. Chop Fest right around the corner. Truist Park is the place if you want to be involved in that. And, of course, there's hot stove news to get to with the Braves as we finally got Josh Donaldson's decision and he is bound for the Twin Cities after agreeing to a contract with the Minnesota Twins. I'll jump into all that in just a moment. want to remind you, though, that you can subscribe to From the Diamond on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Ratings and reviews are always appreciated. If you're following along on social media, on Twitter, you can find the show at From the Diamond underscore. You can find me at Grant McCauley, G-R-A-N-T-M-C-A-U-L-E-Y. And you can find my buddy Bill Rowland on Twitter as well. At Bill Roland, B-I-L-L-R-O-H-L-A-N-D is how you can follow him. On Instagram, at From the Diamonds, where you can find the show. No underscore on that one. I am at Grant McCauley on Instagram as well. My Braves positional preview series got started last week with a look at the Atlanta bullpen. I've got one coming for the starting rotation that should be up in the next few days. You can find that Braves positional preview series and every episode of the show at FromTheDiamond.com. So we're going to scrap the starting nine this week because we've got an awful lot to talk about, and it's going to take a little while. So let's buckle in, Bill, because we're going to start out with what I would say is some disappointing news for Braves fans, and that is that third baseman Josh Donaldson signed a four-year, $92 million deal with the Twins this week. It has a fifth-year option that could push it over or around the $100 million mark, but either way, it's an awful lot of coin. In fact, the most ever for a free agent position player over the age of 33 and it leaves the Braves with a nice big hole in their lineup with less than a month to go before the spring training festivities will begin down in Florida. Uh, what do you make of the Donaldson deal, Bill? And were you surprised to see that Minnesota was the winning team for his services? Yeah, I was a bit surprised, although you and I, and, and good to talk with you again, Grant, uh, you and I had talked about that they were one of those teams that had been in the mix along with Washington and Atlanta. Those were the three teams that we said, look, if he ends up somewhere, it's probably one of these three. I'm surprised, and I don't know if you are or not, all the things that we had been reading had said that 
four years, $100 million was kind of the the floor of the contract, not necessarily the ceiling of the contract. And last week when we talked, it was, well, is anybody willing to go to $110 million? Would they be willing to go to $115? And then you find out the parameters of the contract, and $100 million wasn't the the floor of the contract at all. Um, So I'm a bit surprised that he ended up in Minnesota considering the money parameters that were there. I think Atlanta – could have afforded to bring him back. I think Washington, if they really, really were serious about it, they could have spent the money. I wasn't necessarily expecting them to. Yeah. And I think I think when they found out he was going to Minnesota, they probably said, Okay, we're fine. We don't we're we're okay. Go to Minnesota, be happy with it. I think they would have maybe stuck around in a bidding war a little bit more had Atlanta been that that final team. But I think once they realized that he was going to Minnesota, they probably were like, okay, well, he's not going to be in the National League East, so we're okay with it. And both teams now have some questions about how to fill their third base position. No, for sure. And and I would say about the only thing that could be seen as a good thing about this for the Braves and uh, likely for the Nationals as well is that at least Donaldson didn't immediately take his talents to the opposite city. So for the Braves to not see him go to D.C., where the defending champs were trying to fill in for the loss of Anthony Rendon, that is probably maybe – Probably, maybe. That's a a great definitive statement there. Uh, The only silver lining really for the Braves here in a lot of ways, but I'm curious, and this is kind of speculation on my part, I would assume any large-scale offer by the Washington Nationals included deferred money. I would also speculate that perhaps the Braves gave Donaldson a four-year offer, but maybe that fourth year was not guaranteed, and maybe there were certain things about that deal that just – didn't really strike his fancy. And when the Twins guaranteed the fourth year and perhaps went beyond with the fifth year that would get him up over that $100 million, maybe they were the only club that got to $100-plus million. And I'm inclined to think that they were just based on, like you said, the price tag that was reported and the actual signing amount that Josh Donaldson's going to be getting over the next four or five years to join the Minnesota Twins. Yeah, I think you're right. As it is most of the time with uh, Washington and, and any free agents, whether it's their own or signing somebody else, a lot of times the big money deals do have deferred money. And Donaldson, like a lot of people, probably were like, you know what, I don't need the deferred money. I don't want to do that. I just want to get my money up front. So that probably was a, a black mark against Washington yeah. as far as going there. And, yeah, I think you're right as far as Atlanta goes, too. There's so many moving parts with all of this that you can make the arguments, and we have, and other people smarter than us have done it as well, you can make the arguments for and against every single team and a reason why he should or shouldn't go there. To me, there was never an absolute lock of, oh, Donaldson should be there. This makes the most sense. You know, to me, Strasburg earlier, when he was still a free agent, it made the most sense. That didn't mean necessarily he was going to end up there, but it made the most sense for him to stay with Washington. It was kind of a lock with that, that he was going to stay there. That made the most sense. Donaldson, I don't think we ever got that feeling on, oh, well, this is a done deal. This is going to be it. Because as you said, no guarantee that Atlanta gave him the fourth year as guaranteed money, maybe an option year. Mm -hmm. So if he didn't have that, that's why the landing spot was kind of like musical chairs. And the, the twins ended up finally giving him the best deal and got him to the money that he was looking for and the years. Yeah, and the only player age 33 or older that's gotten a bigger contract in free agency was Kevin Brown, and that's been a while, and it was, I believe, $105 million. So this is not something you see very often, and it was a very interesting move for the Twins in that this is the biggest free agent contract they've ever handed out as well. So a couple of things that led him to Minnesota. I'm sure they are competitive. 
they had the most competitive offer for his services, so he can go there, he can win, he'll be back in the American League, and that could help out a little bit as well as his contract goes on. At some point, I think Nelson Cruz is going to retire, so there could be some DH at-bats to be had for Donaldson, but he also is still an asset with the glove. So staying healthy for him is the big thing, and I think that might have been something that you know gave the Braves, among other clubs, reservations about guaranteeing a fourth year. And if they did, then I would imagine that the amount was probably lower than what Minnesota offered. I really don't think it necessarily came down to just that fifth year, but it might have. Who knows? But um, I think at the end, money's going to talk. And if you're Josh Donaldson at this age and this stage of your career, it's your one big time to cash in. You certainly have to do it. So I uh, wish him well in Minnesota. There's, they're going to hit a lot of home runs, I think, this year, as they did a year ago. And Josh Donaldson just makes them that much better. So that was the big free agent news, the big baseball-related story that you can sink your teeth into from a hot stove perspective And it gives us something to talk about, even if down in the Atlanta area or in Braves country, as they say, it may not have been the most exciting news because now your club has to scramble to find a cleanup hitter. Meanwhile, there's a different kind of scrambling going on across the rest of Major League Baseball, Bill. And it's a story that I don't think is going to go away anytime soon. And that, of course, is what's going on with the Houston Astros in particular, the Boston Red Sox coming down the pipeline, and then, of course, all of the other layers and nuances of this that have probably affected the game in ways that we're going to be untangling for years and years and years. I don't really know where exactly to start with it other than maybe let's go back briefly and discuss what exactly happened to the Houston Astros for their sign-stealing scandal. Major League Baseball handed down its sanctions. Their general manager, Jeff Lunau, was suspended, as was manager A.J. Hinch. They were both then fired by team owner Jim Crane. Uh, Loss of draft picks for Houston, their top two picks the next couple of years, so that's going to affect their draft pool and basically, I think, torpedo both of those drafts and also a $5 million fine. All things considered, when I looked at this, I just had to wonder to myself, given the scope of this and the fact that we're going to be digging out from underneath the explosion that this is going to uh, rain down across Major League Baseball as far as the fallout is concerned, I'm really surprised that we're talking about 10-month suspensions, basically, for the two guys who were central figures in this No players are disciplined, and I don't know what to make of it because every time you turn around, there seems to be a new chapter in this being written and a brand-new story about the Houston Astros that is anything but favorable. What do you make of all this? Yeah, I have to give credit, and it's very rare that I would do this because I think a lot of times, and it's not just Major League Baseball, I think a lot of times any sport – I would probably be the same way if I were running the sport, if I'm the commissioner of the sport. A lot of times they're not very forthcoming – with things that they're investigating that makes their sport look bad. I give Major League Baseball credit that they've been very upfront with this. They have done their due diligence on all this. I think the report covered 68 witnesses, 23 of them who are current or former Astros players, Mm -hmm. according to some of the stories that I've read. So they dug deep into this. Um, So I give them credit for that. But this this is huge. This is almost... Quite frankly, this is the same thing as a Black Sox thing back in 1919. It's it's the modern-day version of this. I feel horrible for Jim Crane. I believe their owner when he says he had no idea what was going on, and I completely respect the fact that he immediately, as soon as Major League Baseball came out with their findings and gave all the, you know, as you mentioned, the draft picks, the suspensions for for Hinch and Luau and all those guys, he fired them. I mean, just straight out of the gate, said, nope, we're not going to do it this way. And he genuinely seemed absolutely mortified that this was going on within his organization. Now, you and I talked about it last week. Sign stealing has been going on since the beginning of baseball. It is nothing new. But the level that it went to 
with the with the Astros and then with the Red Sox. Major League Baseball had to do something and step in. I saw a lot of people on Twitter and other places saying, well, $5 million, that's a drop in the bucket. It's yeah. nothing. Major League Baseball, that's the most they could do according to their bylaws was yeah. $5 million. They couldn't go beyond that. So people that are getting upset, they have to realize that's all baseball could do. It wasn't like they didn't want to find them $20 million or $15 million or whatever it was. $5 million was all they could do under the Constitution. So I give credit to Major League Baseball. I, I don't think we're done with this. I think you're going to see a lot of other players that may start to talk. We've already seen Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Major League Baseball players mm-hmm. from other organizations not happy about this at all. CeCe Sabathia says that the Yankees got the two World Series stolen from them. Well, maybe. they don't. Who knows if they would have beaten the Dodgers or not. Um, the Dodgers have a legitimate gripe, but I don't think they're going to pull the trophy away from either the Red Sox or the Astros, yeah, but we'll, it will we'll definitely be a black mark forever. I'm going to reserve judgment on what exactly – Major League Baseball did in terms of giving them credit for how they handled this because if you really start to dig into this, it sounds like that Major League Baseball and various teams have been made aware of the fact that this could be going on. But until it really went public, when Mike Fires came out and let the cat out of the bag and blew the whistle, it didn't really seem like there was any forward progress to uh, finding a way to curtail this or at least get to the bottom of it, regardless of sitting here talking about if the punishment was fair or not. You brought up the Black Sox, which, of course, I think gets brought up just about any time a larger conspiracy type thing happens in any sport, I would imagine. And I think that we're going to find that a lot of people were involved in this, quite obviously. I think that Major League Baseball had to give immunity to these guys to get them to talk. So you're not going to see a whole bunch of players get suspended. And I also think it would be impossible to untangle and figure out to what extent, for how long, and who deserves what. So I think they were finding a losing battle as far as disciplining players in this. But when I go back to the Houston Astros, it's not so much about the money that they got fined or can't be fined, but that team's been printing money for about the last three years, built in large part on their World Series victory. $5 million really doesn't do much for me. And if there's nothing they can do about it, there's nothing they can do about it. Uh, The drafts, I understand that. That makes some sense. But the shorter suspensions for Lunau and for A.J. Hinch, who may have cooperated with Major League Baseball's investigation, but at the very least, I mean, these videos have popped up over the last week where this was brought up to Hinch by reporters, and he more or less laughed it off or completely lied straight to their faces about it. So I don't really have a lot of sympathy, if you will, for either one of them in their position because I think that they were well aware of it. Hinch obviously was. He was a little bit more contrite in his statement. Lunau seemed to be pretty content to just lay it at other people's feet. And... I'm just surprised that the suspension was what amounts to about 10 months. Whether they work in baseball again is a whole different question. The fact that the Astros chose to fire them, I think, was probably in a concerted effort with Major League Baseball because cheating and subverting the game and the replay system at the highest level for years and benefiting by that from winning a World Series, and that's both for the Houston Astros and apparently for the Boston Red Sox. Yeah, no, I'll I'll agree with that as far as, you know, Hinch, to me, Probably one of the guys that it really is in all of this, if anybody was going to get a lifetime ban, it probably should have been him. I'm not sure on Lunau because I don't know how much he knew. As you said, he was willing to lay it at everybody else's feet, but he's not down in that dugout. He's not the guy that's down there in the, the replay room. He's not the one that's that's allowing the players 
And from all accounts, this was a player-driven thing that was okayed by the manager. He's not the one that's down there. I have the problem with Hinch, as you said. He flat out lied to people about it and made, not even lied about it, but just made snarky comments about it, which rubs you know a lot of people the wrong way with it. I think Cora may be in for more trouble than even Hinch, mainly because oh, he's sure. been at the center of two of them. Right. It seems like he's the linchpin for the entire thing because he was the Astros bench coach when they had this whole thing put together. And I know that Hinch came out and said he destroyed a couple of TV monitors and whatnot, but that doesn't really buy me anything. As far as I'm concerned, if you're the manager and you're in charge of that team, you have to be able to take control of what's going on with something like this. I know you can't control the actions of 25 different guys all the time. I mean, that's just unrealistic to ask for. But when it comes to something like this, that is at the very integrity of not only your team, but the game itself, to do nothing is just as bad or worse than being complicit in it when you have the direct knowledge of what was going on. So he dropped the ball there. And then if you can't get it done from the managerial standpoint, then he owed it to himself and to the team and to the larger, bigger picture good of this to go to Jeff now and say, hey, we've got a problem and this is going to need to be handled. And that to me is just the burden of command with these kind of things because these are the guys that you know, that's what their job is. That's what they get paid for is to manage the Houston Astros franchise in a variety of different ways. And neither one of them managed it very well at all, not to mention Alex Cora and, of course, Carlos Beltran. Uh, these are two other guys that you know, have already lost their managerial jobs and could very well be facing some other discipline. We'll see how that all pans out, especially for Cora. I'm just surprised, I guess, that there was not a lifetime ban involved in this kind of thing because, you know, you go back to the Black Sox. Pete Rose always pops his head up every time something goes wrong to say, hey, look, yep. I'm not so bad. Yeah, but this is bad. And this is, in many respects, just as bad or worse than any damage that gambling could have done to the game but this is a direct just affront to competition in general because they took the replay system and turned it into a vehicle to cheat and to alter the careers of not only their players, but the guys that we're facing as well. Yeah, but great. Let me put it this way. If, and I understand that, you know, the lifetime suspension for, you know, Pete Rose and way back in the day, the, the Black Sox guys, but if they were going to suspend, and again, Hinch didn't, Put an end to it, but he didn't actively participate in it. But that doesn't okay? carry any weight to me whatsoever. No, no, I understand that. But here's my point. The people that were actively involved in it, as we've noted in some of these reports, maybe up to 20 to 23 players from the Astros. Mm -hmm. Could you imagine Major League Baseball suspending for life or even for a year 20 to 23 members of one team at one time? That, to me, is why... They didn't do it because they had to get to the bottom of it. They couldn't suspend the players for that amount of time and certainly not give a lifetime ban. Could you imagine what a monstrosity of a story this would be if they even suspended five players, 10 players for a year or a lifetime ban for their participation in it? And we haven't even got to the Red Sox yet who yep. participated in it in some way. You would be talking of upwards of maybe 30 to 35 players now, whether or not you sit there and say, okay, they deserve it because of what they did, Major League Baseball could not handle that or, dare I say, even survive that for the foreseeable future if you suspended all of those players for a year, if you gave some of the ones who were the linchpins of it a lifetime ban. I can't imagine what that would be like.
Yeah, and, and I don't envy trying to hand out all of the sanctions for this and the discipline, and I understand why they couldn't get the players to cooperate without being able to open them up to say, hey, we need to know, so uh, you will not be disciplined for what you tell us, giving them, for all intents and purposes, immunity for the purpose of getting to the bottom of it. That may have been a trade that they had to make, and I understand that, but I, I guess that what's the message that we're sending? Like, if this happens again, will the next guy get a lifetime ban? Or will he also just kind of get the same treatment? I guess you have to set a precedent. And if the precedent is so hardline on a couple of other occasions with the Black Sox, with Rose, with John Coppolella, I mean, these are things I look at. Even with performance-enhancing drugs, you've got guys that have gotten a quote-unquote lifetime ban. Of course, you can apply for reinstatement, and that's another argument for another time. But when you look at the way that baseball is handling this overall, I think that they are only going to have one shot to get this whole thing right, and I'm not sure they have, and I'll reserve judgment until I see what happens to Cora and see what happens perhaps to other things that they uncover and have to investigate. It's not a great place for Major League Baseball to be, and you're absolutely right. Uh, Would it permanently cripple or disfigure the game if they were to suspend all those players? I don't know. Uh, it, It would do damage, yes, but I also feel like overall, if you are a fan of the sport and if you're probably not in the Houston zip code, you would look at it as something that makes the game better for taking this element out of the game and making some kind of real example out of guys that did something that changed the course of baseball. There's just no two ways about that. And they made that decision. And with those decisions, I think, come consequences. And I'm just not sure that what they've done so far, especially if you start thinking about the money aspect of how much the Astros benefited financially from their success on the field, $5 $5 million fine, like you said, it's a slap on the wrist. It's very little. And they just haven't really been able, I think, to find the, and I don't know that there is a sweet spot for it, but they haven't been able to find the level of punishment, I think, that is commensurate with the crime that has gone on here. And again, the many, many, many careers that have been affected by this. Now, that's a good argument. That I'm not sure that they're going to ever be able to fit the punishment to the crime. Right. And I think the problem that they have, again, I go to, and I understand, look, it, it, there are people out there that would probably agree with you that say, hey, look, if it's going to ruin the Astros franchise for the next decade because they're 15 to 20 guys or whatever it is end mm-hmm. up getting suspended, not all of them are still with Houston, obviously, but then so be it. That's what the punishment they deserve for winning a World Series and, and getting to another one. Although I guess MLB came out and said there was nothing on Tawdry going on in 2019. Which makes sense because they lost all four games at home. That kind of makes sense. But um, I I get that there are people that would want all of those people suspended. I just don't know that Major League Baseball is going to want to go to that level. But I do agree with you that if any team is ever caught doing it again, that they will find a way to get whoever it is suspended and out of the game permanently at that point. I think this is one of those things where – they basically said, okay, this got really out of control. We couldn't rein it in when we should have. But now that we've gotten to the bottom of it, we know what to look for. We know how to – because they kind of gave a wink and a nod, didn't they, to the Red Sox and the Yankees with the Apple Watches? They just basically said, cut it out and don't do it anymore. And that was 2018, I think, with yeah. the, the Apple Watches going on. So they kind of knew stuff was there, but they thought they had a rain on it. I don't think they even knew – then it rose to the level of what the Astros and then the Red Sox were doing. I don't know if the Red Sox had a trash can or what the situation was that they did with Cora. There is an interesting 
clip that is circulating around from the Red Sox-Yankees London series. Correct. When the Yankees absolutely destroyed Red Sox pitching. And again, as a Red Sox fan, I'm watching this going, wow, this pitching is terrible. I still don't think that whatever the Yankees had or were doing made that much difference because Porcello was just awful that weekend, sure. as was the entire bullpen. But there is a one-minute clip of Alex Cora talking about Carlos Beltran and laughing and winking to the media about, well, he kind of has what's going on with – I mean, it was a pretty damning indictment that either the Yankees – had put an end to what the Red Sox could do or were doing it themselves to the Red Sox. Um, and that's how they knew what was coming because their offense was unbelievable that weekend. So he, Cora kind of makes mention that, you know, Beltran had their number, as it were, and he goes, we're going to have to change some things moving forward. You just wonder at that time, everybody just kind of thought, oh, he's just really good and knows what Cora is going to do because they were together in Houston. Yeah. I'm not sure that that's what he meant by it at all, to be honest with you. Well, not only that, but I, when he said all of that, then he added on his own, unprompted by reporters. Well, and I'm not talking about using devices or anything, which I thought right. was really fascinating. And that might have been a reference to the Apple Watches. You're right. It could have been a reference to that, or it could have been a reference to hey, remember that really elaborate sign-stealing scheme that we were involved in back in Houston? I'm not saying he's doing that, but, oh, well, nobody knows about that. So I think he just kind of offered up a little insight into a foreshadowing, if you want to call it that, to what we're now seeing that most people wouldn't have known at the time and couldn't have known at the time what exactly it was he was talking about. So I, I did find that to be really fascinating. As I found, the there were comments from Hinch. There were different comments from players that it kind of changes the context a bit. The whole thing with the Altuve walk-off interview where he left the field and came back. And then yesterday, the big story in the afternoon was were Astros hitters equipped with some kind of device that could, you know, buzz them or, or pulse them, I guess, on their right shoulder to enact the sign stealing that they were doing, let them know what kind of pitch was coming just based on uh, a certain number of, of buzzes or, or pulses, I guess, electronically. Really, I mean, we're we're reaching conspiracy level stuff that, if true, it just makes this thing ten times worse. Now that has not been proven. Major League Baseball did not find anything in that regard, but the story is taking up a life of its own. And when stuff like that starts to come out, and then you start to kind of wonder, well, why would you hit a walk off home run and then completely leave the field, not celebrate with your teammates, and then come back for a post game interview? It was just, it's really strange, in context and out of context. I didn't understand that when I watched it. I was like, well, where's he going? Yeah, I've watched a lot of baseball because, games. I've never seen that. Yeah, it's funny because you've mentioned conspiracy theories and, and people getting to that now. And, um, of course, with Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and everything else, it's going to spread much more quickly oh, yeah. than, than it would have years ago. But, you know, everybody's pointing out how when, when uh, Altuve is coming around third, he's telling them not to rip his jersey off as they did in an earlier game when they pulled his jersey off and his excuse was, oh, well, I'm, I'm modest and my wife didn't like it. Mm, that's a tough excuse. I mean, that yeah. is a tough excuse to go with. In that but moment, again, in the heat of that moment, in the middle of competition after hitting a walk-off home run to win that game, you're win that think series? That, right. I can't. I can't imagine. Yeah, but again, you MLB – says that there is no evidence that they were using wearable devices. I've also seen, I think it's J.J. Reddick. I'm not, not J.J. Reddick. <laughs> oh, Josh Reddick. Yeah, I think Josh Reddick. I'm sorry. Thinking about my basketball stuff. That Josh Reddick 
the outfielder for the Astros. At one point, he's doing an interview and he doesn't have a shirt on, and he's got something. It looks like to me a heart monitor device, but he's got something taped onto his body. And of course, everybody now that hates the Astros and is into conspiracy theories or just wants to push it forward says, well, there's the evidence right there. He's wearing one. I don't know that he was. It could have been a heart monitor. Might even be, he might've been mic'd up for something. I have no idea. You can't tell from the still video, but now that this has happened, every single one of these, any picture that has any sort of wrinkle or bump or anything on these guys, people are just going to believe what they want to believe. And they're going to say, well, there it is. That, he's wearing it. It's right there. I don't care what MLB says. It's right there in the picture. Yeah. I see it. And you have to kind of fight that. But if you're looking to try to find the truth, it's easy to get swept up in the emotion of reacting rather than really trying to sit down and say, okay, well, that doesn't look great, but let's see what kind of other information comes out. Try to parse through it all, I guess, before you draw your conclusion, maybe see it all play out. Now, when it all gets out on the table and, you know, Major League Baseball says, oh, well, we've concluded all of our investigations. This is what we believe happened. This is what people are getting disciplined for, and that's the end of it, at least for now. Then at that point, I think there'll be lots of other follow-up questions to ask, including uh, whether or not they were wearing devices that could signal pitches or, or whatever else. And it's interesting because one person starts talking about it, and then all of a sudden other people start to get the courage, I guess, or inspired to start talking about it as well. And I know Trevor Bauer has been pretty outspoken, as he typically is on Twitter, about a lot of this stuff. You mentioned CC Sabathia a little bit earlier. Alex Wood, who pitched for the Braves for a little while, pitched for the Dodgers as well. I think he said something to the effect of, I would much rather face a hitter who's taking all the steroids he wants than a hitter who knows what I'm about to throw, which I think yeah, is pretty yes. fascinating to tell you the gravity of, well, if you had to choose between PEDs and somebody completely cheating the system, which one would you prefer? At least you've got a 7 out of 10 chance maybe of getting the guy on PEDs out, even if he's a 300 hitter. But you give a guy, you know, what pitch you're going to throw, I would say that those chances of getting that guy out go down drastically, and that's kind of what was bearing out with what Houston did. So it's reached, you know, galaxy brain level stuff in a lot of cases, and maybe the buzzer thing is something like that. But when you look at what happened to the Astros, their manager, their GM suspended for a year, immediately fired. Uh, former assistant GM Brandon Taubman, who has had a bad enough year as it was with some of the things he did. He also got a suspension. Uh, the Astros forfeited first and second round picks for the next two years, and they're fined $5 million, which is the maximum allowed amount under MLB's constitution. All of that being said, we still haven't heard what's going to happen to the Boston Red Sox, who announced a mutual parting of the ways with Alex Cora, their manager, who was the bench coach for the Astros. And as I mentioned before, a central figure in all of this, what in the world can we expect from the Astros' punishment to give us any kind of indication of what the Red Sox punishment might be, in particular, Cora, who I think is going to get a worse suspension or more than Hinch or Lunau got. Yeah, and, and I would imagine no matter what happens with Alex Cora from Major League Baseball officially, I would be surprised if any organization ever took a chance on him again because the optics just don't look good at this point going forward. I imagine he'll get at least a year, if not more. Wouldn't shock me if Major League Baseball came out and said five-year, 10-year lifetime ban sure. uh, as far as that goes. I think the Red Sox are prepared to lose, just like the Astros, those draft picks as well. Beyond that, I $5 million fine. Again, that's all they can do, and it's a drop in the bucket for an, an owner uh, like the Red Sox have. That's not going to mean anything to them, but it's all that Major League Baseball can do. So I would expect it to be similar 
to the Astros. Maybe they don't get two years worth of draft picks. Maybe it's only one because I'm not sure, although we haven't seen the report, I'm not sure the Red Sox cheating rose to the level of the Astros cheating, if that makes sense. I think they were doing it. I'm not sure it was to the level of what the Astros were doing, but they're still going to have to hammer them. And I give, again, the Red Sox credit for as soon as Cora was implicated in it, they cut ties with him. Same thing that the Astros did. I give credit to their ownership for doing that. Again, I do and I don't because it's just impossible to know what was known at the time. And people seem to be much more okay with covering something up before anybody can find out than trying to continue the cover-up when the cat's out of the bag. At that point, you have to do something. So I do feel like their hand was kind of forced in in a lot of respects. And I I start to wonder, and again, there's conspiracy-level stuff about this, but when Dave Dombrowski was let go by the Red Sox, I thought that was really, really strange. And now I look at it, and I just kind of wonder, maybe there was a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes there. I don't really know. I know they had a challenging year last year, and it didn't go anywhere close to where they wanted it to in terms of the -the on-the-field product. But just a, a really strange series of events if you start to look at them all independent of one another and then wonder if there are any strings that are attached to maybe certain dominoes that have fallen at different times and not just all at once like we're accustomed to seeing. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I, I don't know that Dombrowski, I guess we'll find out more when they do come out with the reports. I honestly think that he, just like he had his time in, in Detroit and other places, I think that he just did not get along sure. with John Henry, the owner, quite sure. frankly. I, I think part of that was the spending and the gutting of the farm system. And yeah, he got him a World Series title, which is what he was brought in there to do. But I think they want, and I mean they, John Henry and his kind of executive board, were looking more for a sustainable type of thing, not a, hey, here's a two-year run, and then when this is done, we're going to have to take five years to reload. They don't do that in the AL East, not when you've got the Yankees there. They expect them to be contenders, not necessarily getting to the World Series, but not to play 500 baseball for a few seasons while you try to restock your minor league system. But I will say that if it comes out, I won't be shocked if Dombrowski did know about this and and was a part of it, and they were trying to do their due diligence and maybe sweep it under the rug. But if that were the case, you would think they would have found a way to part with Alex Cora at that point since he was definitely much more involved than a Dombrowski would have been. Yeah, I just wonder what, if anything, it has to do with it. And the two things may be completely unrelated. I'm just wondering out loud because you you look at an organization like the Red Sox that had just won the World Series, and this is the guy who was at least in some ways, the architect to put the final pieces in place to get that thing done. And farm system aside, I mean, winning the World Series seems to be a lot more important to the Red Sox than, you know, having the number one farm system. And trust me, this is an argument we've had plenty down in Atlanta. It's like, oh, I I love hearing about this great farm system, but I'd really love to see this team go to the World Series, win the World Series at some point. I, I get that the Red Sox are kind of in rare air as far as that's concerned with where they are and their overall place in the top tiers and payroll and whatnot in the game. But all of that aside, it just seemed a little bit strange for Dombrowski's time in Boston to run its course a lot quicker than it did in some other places. I guess that was kind of what I was wondering with it. And again, the two may have absolutely nothing to do with one another. I just think it's interesting to see all of the different pieces that are in place here, all of the different things that may or may not have happened and what connection they may have to one another. And it could come out in Major League Baseball's investigation over the next, what, days or weeks whenever they drop that as far as what happened with Red Sox and what their punishment might be. I do want to circle back to whether it's the Red Sox or the Astros or any other team that uses uh, this kind of technology 
for the means that it was not intended for, which is to steal science and relay information in real time, and what this cost Houston's opponents in particular, and also the Boston Red Sox for that matter, because both those teams won the World Series. Outspoken opposing players have taken to social media, also to the press. We mentioned a few of those. But all the clubs in Major League Baseball are more or less under a gag order from MLB in order to refrain from commenting on this scandal. Do you see that to be problematic or just something that trying to keep whatever horse in the barn that you can at this point so that the uh, the whole thing doesn't just turn completely acrimonious between teams? Yeah, you know what? I understand why Major League Baseball has told you know executives and, and people in front offices not to comment on it. I hope they don't punish or gag players from being able to talk about it. Cause quite frankly, th- I mean, talking to the media about it is probably therapeutic for some of sure. these guys to be able to be angry and get it off their chest. I think they should let the, the teams comment it as, as well. This is a huge, huge deal. This isn't, you know, steroids where it was a couple of players here or there, maybe on each team. This goes across the landscape of major league baseball. And, and I think they should allow teams to comment on it but if they're not they need to to levy fines and they need to be able to tell people hey you know what if you say something it's going to cost you as well um so I think Major League Baseball should let people talk at least through spring training and then maybe you can say hey look once we get through this and it's all been said and done we don't need to still be talking about this in July so just let them know hey spring training you get asked about it feel free comment on it but then once we get to the, the business of baseball in April, let, let's kind of put an end to all of these conversations. I would be fine with that. Oh, really fascinating to me was the Dodgers put out a statement basically letting the public know we will refrain from comment due to Major League Baseball asking us to do so. So they're not going to comment on the 2017 or the 28 World Series, at least publicly. And as you mentioned, you know, members of their front office and whatnot, people that uh, not uniformed personnel are not going to be commenting on this. However, Uh, The interesting stories with this never really seem to stop, and I don't know that they are really anytime soon, but on ESPN, on Golik and Wingo on Thursday morning, Jessica Mendoza, who is an ESPN Sunday night baseball commentator and a a baseball analyst for them for a number of years now, she weighed in on this and questioned Mike Fires, the former Astros pitcher who blew the whistle on this whole thing and kind of set this whole chain of events in motion, and she questioned him i mean she criticized him i guess for the way that this all came out and for what it's doing to the sport and while some of the things yeah i understand i would certainly as working in and around baseball as long as i have and i'm sure for most fans you'd rather not see something like this happen and that's fair but to question the person that finally came out and let people know what was going on i just found that to be really really questionable and more so as she really faced some serious criticism and backlash from this She is a Mets employee, and they're up to their ears in this whole thing because Carlos Beltran was their manager. He was hired and already has been dismissed from his job for his role, and he was the only player, by the way, who was mentioned by name in MLB's report on the Astros, and we'll get to that. But Mendoza's opinion was only part of the issue, but it felt like a complete conflict of interest for MLB to be, I think, trying to keep all of the comments at a minimum or cut them off completely. And then to have someone who works in two jobs, one as an analyst and one as a, a Mets employee, I just don't know what to make of this, but I think that she totally missed the mark here in a number of different ways and was only made worse by the fact that she's connected to the Mets as them being someone who employs her. Yeah, and it is tough because of being a Mets consultant, I guess, is her official yeah. 
title or whatever, but I wouldn't care if she was the Seattle Mariners consultant. Wouldn't matter to me. Yeah. She's got to be one or the other. And in this situation, to me, she needs to step aside from one of the jobs. She cannot, and this, I go with this for anybody that's involved in this. This this is not someone TBS brings in a couple of players in the postseason or a coach to sit there and talk, or, you know, CBS and for March Madness brings in a a coach to sit there and talk and, and, and say platitudes about everybody else. She is an actual analyst week to week, game to game in Major League Baseball and is consulting for the Mets. To me, it's a conflict of interest. In her job as an ESPN reporter, she can go into opposing team dugouts right. and talk to players and managers and GMs before games to do her due diligence, as she should, for her job as an analyst. How much of that that she gets, and if players are smart, they're not telling her anything, but how much does she get from that job and then turn around and use it to help the Mets? I can't believe that ESPN and the Mets and Major League Baseball don't see this as a bad look all around. I think that with this happening, they may realize it now, and they need to put an end to it, whether it's she can't consult for the Mets anymore or she can't be on ESPN. It's got to be one of the two because it was a terrible look for an ESPN analyst and a Mets consultant to basically insult the guy who helped bring this whole scandal down. Yeah, and she did go on to try to clarify those remarks, as most people do when something you know goes wrong. You're going to try to, I guess, do some damage control. But also, if you did feel like you were taken out of context, which I listened to the whole clip more than once before trying to draw a conclusion on it, and it just rang very hollow and very misguided, I guess, to you know, lay the whole thing at the feet of Mike Fires and be like, oh, well, this should have been – he should have told his teammates, but – Nobody else should have really known about it. Well, how long did this need to continue going on? Somebody, somehow, and he did apparently make his clubs aware of this. And depending on what you believe and where you hear it from, perhaps Major League Baseball was more aware of this earlier on than we thought they were, or it was at least on the radar of things that they could have some knowledge of and clubs could have some knowledge of. To look at Mike Fires and and point the finger at him as kind of being – Uh, responsible for the damage that's being done. I don't think that's fair at all. Now, his level or his involvement or his inability to report it earlier or whatever else, I mean, we could ask ourselves a million different questions about, well, what would have made this whole situation better all the way back to the genesis of the whole thing and saying, what if somebody just said, no, we're not going to do that. But that didn't happen. You know, and and I guess just pointing at the one person that ended up being the, I don't want to say face of it, because I don't think a lot of people would be able to pick Mike Fires out of a lineup if he doesn't have that uh, weird beard that he had for one start last year going on. But I, I don't know. I, it just When I saw it, it just bugged me because I just felt like it completely missed the point. And it just, when you started to add it up with the outside advisory or consulting job for the Mets and everything else, it just, I looked at it and thought, this was just not a good look for anybody involved in this. And It's not her fault that it happened. You know, if it was a bad opinion, it's a bad opinion. We've all got those, and we've heard plenty of them, and there'll be plenty more that have to do with this. But I just found it fascinating because of the connection to the Mets because later in that very day, we found out that Carlos Beltran's tenure in New York was going to be extremely short as he was gone. And then in the wake of Beltran going, we saw burner accounts showing up on Twitter saying all kinds of crazy stuff. So, like I said, this story is nowhere near its conclusion, and I just have to wonder what is going to happen with the Boston Red Sox. 
can anything else happen to Carlos Beltran or was it just losing his job with the Mets is kind of going to be the long and short of that. But circling all the way back, teams that played the Houston Astros, whether it be in the regular season, the playoffs, the World Series, one of those, when you get to the end of it, the Astros and the Red Sox beat the Dodgers in the World Series. So now there's a movement or at least a, a possibility that the L.A. City Council could ask to have both titles awarded to the Dodgers what did you think of that? Because I don't expect it to happen, but there are a lot of people that are kind of up in their feelings and really upset about this, and rightfully so in a lot of cases, though I don't think those two trophies are going to be going to L.A. Yeah, no, I don't either. That's a city council that apparently has uh, not a lot to do so if, they're, if they're concerning themselves with what happened with the Dodgers. Look, it, it stinks, and if I'm a, a Dodgers player, I'm – Completely angry, completely upset that this was going on and that, that how this whole thing went down. But I just don't think there's any way that Major League Baseball is going to turn back and say, okay, you know what? You're right. You guys are the, are the World Series champs now. Because, again, the Red Sox won, what, two of three in L.A. Right. to win that series. So, what? Do you, I mean, you lost two of your three home games to them. So, um, I'm not sure that L.A. has an argument here. I get the city council. It's nice. It's the politician thing to do. So everybody goes, yeah, way to go. You're right. Let's stick it to them. And people will vote for them, I guess, in the next election or whatever it is. But quite frankly, if I'm MLB, I tell them to stay in their lane, do whatever the L.A. city council is supposed to do. It's not to meddle in Major League Baseball and whether or not the Dodgers should be awarded the World Series championship. Yeah, and, and I think if that was going to happen, if Major League Baseball was going to vacate World Series titles, then they probably would have already done it. And going back to the sign-stealing thing, when you're at home, you can obviously have a system set up much more so than you'd ever be able to execute on the road. So I don't know that it would have really helped them at all on the road. And, of course, you can signal a lot of things for your hitters, but I don't necessarily know that you can enact the same kind of thing in order for your pitchers to be able to have that sign stealing, have any kind of influence on what they're doing. They've still got to go get the opposition out, I guess is what I'm saying. So there will be nights the other team scores more runs than you do. That's just kind of how the game works. But uh, regardless, uh, the L.A. City Council, I don't think it's going to get the answer they're looking for. I guess it never hurts to ask, but if MLB was going to do that, I think they already would have. You know, I I don't think we're going to see much come out of that. But uh, kind of wrapping up on Carlos Beltran, who, again, may not face any other discipline than losing his job with the Mets other than his legacy as really one of the best switch hitters in baseball history and what seemed to be a pretty much surefire Hall of Famer. I think that his legacy in the game may very well be negatively impacted, if not ruined, by the fact that all of the information when it comes out about this, people are going to look at him very differently than they did, what, this time a year ago. Yeah, it will be interesting to see the backlash from the baseball writers and and fans as well, but more importantly, the writers who have a vote for the Hall of Fame. It'll be interesting to see how they digest all this information because if the scandal was only going on the last couple of years, well, what about the first, I don't know, 15 or whatever it was of his career when he did put up those great numbers? He wasn't cheating then, but... You know, there are people that that hold in, in high regard the integrity aspect of the Baseball Hall of Fame, as well they should. So I would be surprised if he got voted in the first time around. But right. as older members of the Baseball Writers Association age out, the younger generation seems to, A, be way more forgiving, especially when it comes to PEDs. 
And I wonder if they're going to liken this to the kind of the same thing of, well, it wasn't just Beltran. It was all of the Astros. It was a lot of the Red Sox. He was just using the information at his disposal. I can't necessarily, you know, fault him for that. And we'll eventually vote him in. The younger voters seem to, to not hold with that same kind of firewall that the older yeah. baseball writers do for yeah. whatever reason. But that's kind of the great divide, I think, is the newer writers coming up. Don't do the same. Don't do it the same way that the older writers do. No, that's certainly true. And a lot of the talk has been both for Cora, for Beltron, that these are guys that were really great at stealing signs during their playing career and doing it the old fashioned way, not having anything to do with video, but escalating that to where they took the replay center uh, and the replay feeds and turned it into uh, the real time aspect of being able to take that and change the game essentially. I mean, there's just so much that we're going to see over the coming days, weeks, months, perhaps, maybe even years that comes out about this that makes us think about not only those teams differently, but the what could have been kind of aspects of that as well. So uh, long story short, we haven't heard the end of this. I don't think we have, but I do wonder, and this is kind of a broad question, and maybe this is more so about uh, maybe what the future of replay is, the security of the replay center for each and every team that they have in their ballpark. Where does baseball go from here to uh, handle this thing as best it can and minimize the possibility of anything like this ever happening again? Yeah, I, I think the first thing they have to do is take the replay guy away from any proximity of the dugout. Um, whether they have to put him up where the press is and put him in a small room there or whatever it is. And then, you know, you have to have your manager pick up a phone and and talk to, you know, up above and have them say, yeah, you know what, you should challenge this or whatever. It may drag the game at times if the manager has to be, hold on, hold on, I'm still waiting to hear from my replay guy. I mean, if that's what it takes, okay. But it's better than the alternative, which is teams having that temptation of figuring out another way to use the replay thing. And Okay, let's not bang on a trash can. Let's figure something else out because – Again, we go back to it starting with binoculars and telescopes and everything else back in the 30s, 40s, and 50s yeah. to where we are now. So the gamesmanship is always going to be there. Major League Baseball just has to try to stay in front of it and moving that replay person away from the dugout, however they can do it, may be the first step. Yeah, I think that it could be. In addition to that, maybe Major League Baseball is going to have to hire some extra personnel that you know, you kind of put them on the buddy system where, hey, this is the guy from Major League Baseball who oversees your replay. He'll be sitting in with you during this game. Or putting somebody in, sure. the, in the tunnel there. If they don't move the replay room, let's say that. Uh, putting somebody that can kind of monitor everything that's going on in and around the feeds that are coming in and out of that room and uh, the decisions that are made throughout the game because it does have to be kind of instantaneous, no pun intended, to get this replay thing done so managers typically receive a phone call from the replay room that says yes or no, or they call and ask and get a yes or no, and the game moves forward. But they do hold up play for this to go on, and sometimes it's not really the holding up play to decide if they want to challenge or not that I get frustrated with. It's We've been sitting here for three minutes and 30 seconds, and I've seen this thing 750 times of the ways that we can see, and I'm wondering what they're waiting on to either confirm or overturn or uh, whatever it is they're going to do. But Replay is not going to go away. I don't think that that's really on the table whatsoever. I don't think it's a bad thing for the game. I do think it can be streamlined and improved, and I hope that it is. But this possibility, and as you mentioned, the temptation of it, and to think that, you know, you put it so close to the game itself, 
maybe that was the ultimate temptation for somebody to step over that line and make the decision to use the replay system and all of those feeds to their advantage to change the game in ways that Major League Baseball may not have expected, but perhaps they should have had some fail-safes in place to make sure that it couldn't happen. Is there any thought, because they, they have to get on the headsets and they have to talk back to New York, right? That's how they do the replay. There's nobody in that building. Right. Is there any thought to adding a couple of people to be replay you know, managers or whatever in the actual stadiums? The A, I think it would speed things up because a manager could just basically walk out the home plate and say, I want to replay, and then instantly there's a couple guys, again, up a couple stories where the media are. You need more than one because one guy can, you know, you just want to make sure you have a couple of guys up there, whatever it is, and they look at it, and then they announce their decision because then you don't really need necessarily all the back and forth and talking because they're going to see the replay. They will have seen the play happen instantaneously they know what they're going to be looking for i don't know it just seems like a lot to be solved that they were in-house having to go back and call the guys in new york and i guess it, it gives them some sort of you know secrecy about who's making the the replay call whereas if they were in the building you would know but i, I still think it would help on site if you had somebody there that could make that determination immediately I mean, they would be able to see all the different, like you said, they see all the different angles. I mean, I sit at home much like you and I'm watching it and I go to replay and I go, well, clearly that guy's safe. What's the problem here? He's clearly safe or whatever it may be. Or that ball obviously beat him. And I feel like I make the decision way faster right. than they do in replay. So I don't understand why it takes so long. There seem to be a lot of common sense replays that go on a lot longer than they should. And I don't know that that's just not a pet peeve more so than a time of game thing or a pace of play thing, but we're kind of getting off into the weeds about replay itself. But I can tell you this, it wasn't meant for anything in that replay room to be giving players an unfair advantage during an at-bat to change the scope of that game and quite possibly the history of baseball when you talk about teams winning the World Series. Yeah, no question. And, and that's why they need to figure out, as you said, either you put another MLB personnel, and I think it has to be somebody that rotates. I don't think you can have yeah. somebody you know who lives in Houston be the... Houston MLB, you know, video replay room guy because, I mean, look, you don't know. You'd like to think that people would be honest and stuff, but fandom it runs deep. And if somebody could, you know, look the other way or if you get to know the guys and you're rooting for them, you look the other way if something strange happens. I think if you rotate guys around, that it's a lot harder to get away with the same stuff. Sure. If you don't know if Jeff is going to be there, if it's going to be Rick or Susan or whoever, if you don't know who's in that week, Maybe tough to implement whatever kind of scheme that you've got going on. Yeah, and hopefully the number of schemes that are going on in the future will be few and far between because this one I can tell you, as we all know, and as if you're a fan of any team or just the sport itself, this was not a good thing for Major League Baseball whatsoever. That may be the most obvious statement on this podcast, but at some point when we find out the scope of all of this, we're really going to be able to draw our conclusions on not only how it happened, but how to keep it from happening again. So. Uh, Bill, I appreciate all your time. I know this was a lot to chew up, and I'm sure that we probably could have spent even more time and uh, read even more exciting websites and breakdowns of instant replay procedures <laughs> and official statements and all kinds of other things. We could have read all nine pages of the commissioner's report on the Houston Astros. But uh, long story short, I think we got through a lot, and I enjoyed chopping it up with you. 
Yeah, as always. And this is not going away. I'm sure we'll be talking about it as we get uh, into spring training and beyond. Again, hopefully we'll have uh, the Red Sox punishments handed down by the time we talk again next week. And if not, I think the longer it lingers, the worse it is for Major League Baseball. Yeah, I think there's certainly an impetus to get this thing done as quickly as possible. But more than anything, I just want them to get it done right or as close to right as humanly possible, which of course, is always open for interpretation, a lot like replay can be from time to time. But, Bill, I appreciate it and look forward to talking to you again next week. All right, thanks, Grant. Make sure you're following Bill on Twitter. You can find him at Bill Roland. That's B-I-L-L-R-O-H-L-A-N-D. And, of course, you can find From the Diamond on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Leave those ratings and those reviews. I very much appreciate those. Again, on social media, at From the Diamond underscore on Twitter. I'm at Grant McCauley on Twitter. Instagram at from the diamond with no underscore. And I'm at Grant McCauley there as well. And everything is up every episode of the show. Also my Braves positional preview series. Next up is the starting rotation. Bullpen's already posted. That's going to be a five part series, a new part at least each week leading up to Braves spring training and pitchers and catchers reporting in less than four weeks. You can find that entire preview series. And again, every episode of the show at from the My thanks again to Bill Rowland for jumping on and talking about what was, I would say, quite a lot of ground to cover. And my thanks again to you, as always, for tuning in, subscribing to the show, and listening to From the Diamond. Looking forward to next week's show, hopefully a little bit less of the legalese and a lot more about what might be happening on the hot stove and, of course, the preparations for spring training as the Braves will get set to do that in less than a month. The countdown continues. Until next time, this has been From the Diamond. I'm Grant McCauley, and I will catch you next time. So long, everyone.